0: If you need to go deeper, what does deeper look like? Maybe you've just had a recent uh, event in your life that disjointed you. Maybe you started a new job or you moved home or you got married or you had kids or whatever it might be, Uh, something or relationship breakdown or uh, suffering with sickness. All these different kinds of things can disjoint us from being in the center of where God is calling us to be the disciplines, the practices that we had kind of get set aside for a season. Maybe we need those to be brought back into the middle. Perhaps you've got overloaded just with the pressure of living in London uh, and and thinking, you know, God, I can't handle all of this. Now, the answer isn't to stop everything, because the problem is when you say, I'm going to stop everything, pretty quickly, you're going to have to pick some stuff up. And the question is, what are you picking up? What order are you picking it up in? Much rather, God, I'm going to seek as hard as I can to put you first, to put you right in the center of my agenda, and everything else can cascade on from that. Maybe you're sitting there saying, well, I've, I've got no old ways. I'm so, so new to being a Christian. I haven't got into that habit of being in the Lord's presence yet. Well, you'll get some old ways soon. And it's important to keep refreshed in the Lord and keep pressing into a deeper relationship with Him. But wherever you are in your journey today, uh, we're called to check our foundations. And like I was saying just at the beginning there, I see a church with hearts on fire and people desiring the things of God. Now for today's message, Jesus belongs first. There's gonna be three kind of definitive words and the first one I want us to think about is margin. Now margin can be described so many different ways. It's the margin at the edge of a newspaper. It's the margin in your finances to make sure that you don't uh, run into the the red. It's the margin that you give yourself when you're meeting a friend for coffee and they don't like you being late. Margin can be described as many different ways, but today I want us to take margin as the space left over the space left over. And in that context, I'm going to quite naughtily put out my my tagline today, that God is breaking out of our margins. God is breaking out of our margins. This journey is going to take us over a period of time, not all today, but to reflect, to a season of assessing where are we in our lives today, where is Christ in relation to our agenda. And perhaps you might think of things like rest or relationship or repurposing If you're thinking about those kind of things, I can recommend all sorts of books. Come and see me after. But I want to start with our verse today, Matthew 12, verse 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something greater than the temple is here, and if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Your face is what I'm thinking. I read that passage and I felt that that was the passage for this sermon, and I was like, wait, what? It seems a little bit random. We're talking about a couple of guys walking through a field and something happening out there of some significance. I don't know how often you go, walking through fields in the first 14 years of my life i grew up in hong kong now if ever you've been to hong kong you know there's no fields you know the garden is this big and it's shared by 100 people it's tiny there's no fields there's no greenery that you can easily go see and sit down and lie in uh and and maybe like you have hyde park here it's not a place of fields and when we left hong kong we ended up moving to a village in the uk uh, so this is ha- to help you understand why I love living in London and will not easily move out, of, move out of London. When we moved to the village in the UK, it was only fields and a few cows. Actually, my school was across a couple of fields, and so every morning I'd get up and walk out the house and walk through these fields, and it was like running the gauntlet because these cows, they didn't like people walking through their field. If only I'd learned the skills of, you know, how to prepare a meal for cow? I'd be able to do what the disciples were doing. But I didn't have any idea of how to do that. I just had to run through the field and make it to the other side. And so as soon as I could, I got out of London, uh, got out of the village and came to London because I love cities. And I don't know how many of you have grown up in London, but maybe you've never seen a field in your life. We should go outside the M25 every now and then. It's a good place to visit the world out there. But it does feel like quite a a random occasion for us, the idea of walking through a field when we are here in London surrounded by busyness. But if we think about the context, we're thinking about a city that is vastly less populated than the place we're in right now. And it's a place where there are fields all around and part of what you would do is have to go out and trade in order to be able to buy food and so on for your own sustenance. And so these disciples find themselves out Walking in the field about a daily pursuit. It's a Sunday walk, so to speak. It's it's going to hang out with your mates. It's taking a little journey. It's the things of normal daily life. Maybe you might express it differently. You might go for a walk by the Thames. You might just sit at home and watch a movie, whatever it is that you do in terms of your daily life. And these disciples were in the act of daily living when something incredible happened I don't know where you are in your relationship with God but so many times so many people we say to them how are you going in your relationship with God and they just like start to look down and they get a bit sheepish and they're like I haven't experienced God or I haven't sensed God's presence and uh, we feel for people when they put put it like that but then when you start to press what do you mean by that what does a relationship with God look like to you They're expecting this incredible outbreak of the Spirit of God. This, you know, signs and wonders and the heavens parting and a light shining down. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This incredible moment with God that they can point to for the rest of their lives. And yet God is in the day to day. God is in the Sunday walk that you take with your friends, the moments that you're spending with one another. God, in fact, promises to show up in the moment to moment and infuse all of your life with meaning. So they're walking in the field about a daily pursuit. They're walking in the field and then they get hungry. Now this would never ever happen to me. If we're going out for a walk, how far are we going? Where's the nearest shop? I'm gonna to have to take packed lunch with me. Might have to take my packed dinner with me, or whatever it might be, but you're not gonna get me hungry in the field. These guys, they keep making these mistakes. The disciples had to learn about packing lunches with them. But they're walking in the field any given day and then they get this incredible revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way that we want to see God in the extraordinary and he shows up in the ordinary we want to hear God in the roaring storm we want to see this amazing display of power and yet so often it's the still small voice of the Lord that speaks the most to us it's the most important and Jesus in this context speaks in a way that is loaded with revelation but we might miss it. And so we want to try and unpack that for us here today. The first definition word was margin, that which is left over. Second definition, the field. We've been talking about fields and fields might feel, feel so alien to us. They might be as alien as the presence of God is to us. But the field is the place where the image of your life can be painted. It's where you can imagine yourself. It's where you can see yourself walking. And in this moment, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field, and then there's these Pharisees. And I'm wondering, what are these Pharisees doing in this field? I mean, Jesus can't get a quiet minute. He can't pull his brothers aside to go for a little holiday or go for a little stroll in the the countryside. He's going out for this walk, and the Pharisees have followed him. And they're not only following him, they're trying to watch what he's doing. I mean, it's it's incredible. You you know when someone steps outside their remit, you think the Pharisees belong within the remit of the temple and within the remit of the city, and yet here they are outside of the remit, way out in 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 the fields, and they're trying to dictate to Jesus what he should do. What were they doing? Were they sitting there with binoculars? Were they watching? Watching the disciples? I mean, because it would be innocuous, the disciples would pull a few heads of grain off and start to rub it together and just bit by bit take a seed and munch on a seed. What were they spying on? How were they getting this clarity that these guys were doing something that was outside of the law? See, the Pharisees were a little bit crazy because, not to slow the whole group, but this particular group of Pharisees, they had created 39 categories of what you were forbidden from doing on the Sabbath. Literally hundreds of laws about what you were not allowed to do on the day that the Lord gave us. And so somewhere in this list of 100 things, you're not allowed to break heads of, uh, heads of grain off and roll them and have a little snack. You're not allowed to do that. That's work. Now, Jesus is here, out in the margins, and there in the margins of the Pharisees' sphere of influence, we see how they try to squeeze Christ into their margins i started out by saying that this passage is a little bit random and me pushing it this far is again a little bit random what are we talking about what are we thinking about and i even wondered went so far as to wonder why did matthew put this passage in the scriptures i mean it's so weird focusing on jesus out in the field eating some snacks with his disciples why is this a big deal For um, Matthew, it's a big deal because something that Jesus says reminded him of the day that he got called. The day that Matthew got called, Jesus said to the Pharisees, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go and figure out what it means. Here, Jesus said, if you had figured out what mercy was and not sacrifice, you wouldn't be here having a go at us for no reason. So there's an important link for Matthew personally related to his call. But then secondly, it's included because of this amazing claim that Jesus makes. I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Leave that there. We're going to come back to it. But this story is a story about priorities. Jesus' priority was to spend time in relationship with his disciples, spend time in the day-to-day, spend time bringing revelation to them, spend time growing them in the image of Christ. The priorities of the Pharisees was to spend time finding out where you were falling short of their issues, their margins, their commands. And why is that important? Because where we put margins displays our hearts. And this would all start to make a bit of sense if we were to realize that we often seek to marginalize the Lord ourselves. What happens when we seek to push Jesus out into the margins? What happens when we seek to tell Jesus what he can and cannot do? What happens when we seek to say, Jesus, this is how you are supposed to relate to us? You might say, you know what, Gabriel, that's a pretty strong statement. How do you know? How do you know what's going on for me? Um, Well, if you've got a vibrant relationship with the Lord, hallelujah, let's grow. Let's keep growing. But I think most of us are honest that we battle all the time with where we put Jesus in our lives. Is he at the margin or is he at the center? Is he an afterthought or is he the first thought? See, the difference is this. It's between going on a social media fast. Some amazing people did January fast on social media. The thing is, we pick it up in February and we go straight back in at the level of addiction we had before. It's the difference between that and quitting our social media accounts completely. It's the difference between putting God right at the the edge five minutes a day of prayer and putting God right at the center of our our agenda. It's the difference between someone you meet one time and someone that you build a deeply satisfying friendship with over decades. It's the difference between living aimless and living full of purpose. for some of us, it's the difference between knowing God's presence and not. If we were to think about it, God offers us so much. He offers us the privilege of standing in his presence. The privilege of walking with him. The privilege of unity with him. And if we would get hold of that revelation, it would change the whole way that we live our lives. Now I want to address... I had seven, but I kind of whittled it down to six, and hopefully it stays at six, maybe it might make it up to seven, but seven margins that we seek to apply to the Lord. And the issue with a margin is this, when we elevate a margin in our life, when we make a margin more important than God in our life, we create an idol, and we think that we can contain God in that area. And so what I want to ask you is at the end of each of these margins, there's six or maybe seven of them, that we make a declaration together, God is breaking out of my margins. Amen? Amen. All right. Now for uh, the vast amount of you today, this won't be a serious margin because so many of you love the Lord, but the first margin is intellectual superiority. It's when we approach God without humility with our minds. It's when we say that we know better than God about how he should run this earth, the creator of the heavens and the earth, that we know more than him and we know how he should do it. And we say, no, there couldn't possibly be a God. And if I were God, I would do this. I certainly wouldn't do that. And if I uh, had created or knew everything, I certainly would go about cancelling sickness. I would certainly go about putting the world to right in terms of natural disasters. I'd certainly know exactly how to handle uh, world and national disasters. Intellectual superiority is a margin because we try to squeeze God into what we conceive of what he can and cannot do. And it's something that we need to repent of. But that's just the first one. That's just the lead-in. The second margin that we want to talk to is the margin of unmet expectations. So many people confine God to a corner in their lives because of their own unmet expectations of God. I've sought God, but he hasn't answered me. I've prayed and I've sought God for my healing or I've prayed and I've cried out for my business to work or I've prayed and I've cried out for my partner to come along you know the angel that God was going to send from heaven I've prayed and I've sought God and he hasn't done it and therefore God belongs in the margin of my life the margin of unmet expectation see we're not letting God be God in that context We're not allowing God the privilege of being himself and doing what he's promised he will do. And this is what God has promised, that he is for us and not against us, that he will walk with us through every single trial that we face, that when we are in the trial, he will be with us. He's far more committed to the relationship than we are. Don't assume that you've done all that you can in terms of searching after his will or seeking for him to do his will in your life. Don't marginalize God because of unmet expectations. Third one, the margin of church ministry. Uh, Just a, a touch on this, that sometimes we can squeeze God out because we're so busy doing His work. You might be so busy about the work of the Lord in your cell groups or so busy about uh, serving in, in the house, cooking the lunches downstairs or helping with coffees and teas or consolidating and all that good stuff, but we're so busy that we squeeze God into the corners. Honestly speaking, this is one of the areas that I have to regularly reflect on because there's a schedule that we keep and how do we put God right at the center when we're trying to keep the schedule, keep everything going, keep the ship moving, so to speak. It's a margin that we need to deal with it's that mary martha piece on choosing the right thing choosing to put the lord first fourth margin the margin of a wounded heart the margin of a wounded heart so many people have put god way outside of influence in their lives because of a broken heart from previous relationship wherever that might be in a family context in a romantic context in a, in a leader context. in in a colleague context, a friend context, whatever it might be, someone has betrayed your trust. And it becomes impossible to see God as good, impossible to trust him, impossible to do relationship with him and move forward. And yet that margin of the wounded heart does not allow the Lord to function fully in and through your life. So those are four, three that I want to spend a bit more time in now. The margin of busyness or other priorities busyness or other priorities when we put everything else but God first one of the words that I'm repenting of personally of using when people ask me how I am is busy people always ask me how I'm busy I say I don't want to I don't want to bother you with a phone call to see if we can hang out because I know you're busy when I see you, you look tired because you must be busy you know the answers right But maybe you're also wrestling with the issue of busyness. Uh, Maybe you're someone who thinks that you can carry the world on your shoulders, multitasking, you're living overloaded. When you give the list of things that you're responsible for, you just start to lose track. There's so much going on. But busyness can also be a state of mind that arises from the disciplines that we practice every single day a different way you can be busy without being busy any of you honest enough to say that you've got a technology addiction here today some of you (laughs) (laughs) you know i spoke to a guy yesterday i'm sure he wouldn't mind if he was here but he was just saying you know in my business as part of my business i have to spend five hours a day on instagram posting and blogging and making connections and replying and commenting because in that, that grows my network, that grows my financial income and so on. And that's great, except that that's five hours that is sowing a seed into your thinking, I need to be attached to my phone or to my iPad or to my device, Android, whatever it might be. And we live constantly conscious of something that's burning a hole in our pocket. Now, how many of you have ever felt that vibration in your pocket as if someone's texted you and pull your phone out and no one has, yeah? That's a sign you're addicted. (laughs) It's a sign that we've got a problem because we fill our lives with so much tech time that we don't realize how busy it makes our mind that we're never focusing on anything other than thinking about how can I grab my phone? How can I get online? How can I do some of this other stuff? We don't have the peace that we need to seek God. You know, I did something crazy and Colin or it's on record for Colin. Okay, but I went into the primary 12 meeting on Wednesday without my iPad for the first time since iPads were introduced. <laughs> it's incredible, <laughs> but it, it's a funny testimony because, you know, Colin likes it and hates it because he can ask for something. And before the meetings finished, the emails are sent and the communications done and it's all good. Um, But the reality is that if I'm honest, and this is honesty day today, okay? Don't expect it to keep happening. Um, Honesty day, if I'm honest, I'm also like checking my other emails and seeing what else is going on in the world and just, you know, keeping in touch with things, you know, because you have to. But when I came out of that meeting having not taken my iPad in, two things happened. One, is I got everything out of that meeting that Colin said in notes, perfect, beautiful. Extracted the value from that meeting. But second, the rest of my day, my mind was focused when it came to work. I was able to just turn my attention to one thing, get it done, another thing, get it done, another thing, get it done. But with tech, because you're one minute and then multitask, phone, can I check my phone and I'm trying to focus and someone's having a conversation, trying to focus and then another uh, a notification comes through, how do we ever live? How do we ever live with a consciousness of God at the center? A lack, of busy, a lack of priorities or busyness. So whether you have got so much to do or you're just filling up your mind with everything other than God, you got to think about it. Oh, no, no, but I listen to messages on my iPad. Why not go and open your Bible and get your own message? Simple thought. <clears throat> Another margin. Chris, don't tell Colin I said all that, all right? another margin and this is a this is this is a deep one i'm i'm not going to be able to help you with this one i can just call it and then and then you need to do some work with the holy spirit margin of sinful desire and pride when we say lord you know what i know that you can forgive me i know that you call me to a different way of life i know you call me to forgive we'll cover forgiveness in just a second i know you call me to live a life for you but just hold on a minute uh, I've got some great stuff going on for me right now, I'm getting promoted at work, I've got this great really really attractive partner that's you know really interested in pursuing the relationship, I've got all this great stuff in terms of my business, I'm just kicking it off right now but at the core of all of that is your own personal, personal agenda, At the core of all of that is your desire for your own greatness and centered around that is sin, that's what it is, when you say, God, wait, (laughs) you wait until 2020, and then I'll get serious about you. And then you get to 2020, you're like, you wait till 2030, and then I'll get serious about you. No, 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 Lord, you wait until I'm an old man, old woman, then I'll get serious about you. I think that the challenge with all of that, though, is, is really fundamentally, it's a hard issue. And the hard issue is this, At some level, you believe that the achievement in all of these areas is gonna give you some sort of righteousness before the Lord. And if I can say, I made it, God, I did something with what you gave me, you think that that's gonna count for something before him? Can I tell you this, it's not. Jesus has a simple model. You took a bath when you put your faith in Christ Jesus, but every single day he calls you to walk in humility for the washing of your feet. If you can't come and repent and sit at the feet of the Lord, and ask him for forgiveness and ask him to be the center of your life, and ask him to be your agenda you're never going to get to where you think you're going to earn your place it's a gift from the lord it's a gift that comes from humility final margin margin number seven we got seven great the margin of offense unforgiveness now we talked about wounded hearts earlier Unforgiveness leads to a wounded heart if it is not treated. One of the most frequent, frequent, this is the most frequent uh, comment I hear when people come forward in prayer. And you just ask them how they're doing. How's their relationship with God? And what do they say? They say, I can't hear the Lord's voice. Is the Lord angry with me? Have I done something wrong? Is he, is he against me? Is there some sin in my life? And there's this kind of narrative of, you know, God hasn't talked to me for years. Something else is funny. Is every single person, every single person without fail, who has left the church, broken a relationship, broken off a cell, changed their circumstances really suddenly and won't talk to somebody, ended a romantic relationship. Every single one, when it stemmed from offence, somehow, every single one of those people heard from God. When we're earnestly seeking after God, earnestly seeking to know the Lord, we can sometimes feel like we don't hear his voice. And yet, every single person living out of offence got a revelation from the Lord that it was okay for them to terminate the relationship. I'm leaving the church. The Lord led me to do it. I'm leaving cell. I'm going to join another cell because the Lord told me to do it. I got a confirmation in scripture and so on. You know, you, I'm keeping my distance from you. I no longer trust you as a leader. And it's okay. The Lord confirmed it to my heart. Why is the Lord confirming so much stuff to you about breaking relationship, which flies directly contrary to if your brother sins against you, go to him one to another. Let him know his fault so that you might gain a brother. So that you might gain a brother, so that you might have a deeper relationship. No, no, the Lord told me it's okay that I can break relationship and live in broken relationship. Hang on a second. It's a margin of offense. And the problem with the margin of offense, uh, John Bevere wrote a great book on this debate of Satan, being in circulation 20-odd years, still will radically change your heart, is that it is the area of greatest disobedience to the Lord. Offense is the area singly in the church of greatest disobedience because we even pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive me my trespasses just as I forgive those who trespass against them except for I didn't forgive them, except for I just glossed it, except for I pretended that it was okay. And the problem with broken relationship offense is it's the surest way out of the will of the Lord. It's the surest way to miss your calling. It's the surest way to miss the place that God has called you to have the greatest impact. We've looked at seven margins. and The truth is this. That when we try to squeeze God out to the margins, when we try to put him in his place in our life, we're really stepping out to the margin of our own life and watching our life go by. I wish I could enjoy this moment, but I, I can't because the person I won't forgive is not with me, my brother, my sister. We could be celebrating a marriage in the family and yet my brother or sister is over in that other country, won't talk to anybody, and I know why. Watching life go by. God, I wish I could celebrate this moment with you and give you all the glory and worship you because this is such an amazing testimony, but I know that, You did this despite me not with me you did this around me not with me participating when we put god in the margins we live on the margins of our own lives and instead of having god right at the center we find an imposter in god's place ourselves the idol of our own agenda with god and we need to repent of putting god in the margins making that margin more important than him Because at the end of the day, it reveals something fundamental about the core of our lives. When we'll try to put God in the margins, it's because we've not understood the core truth that God is love. And that His love for us gives us our identity and gives us our purpose. This passage is also quite random because it's talking about Some guys in a field, and Jesus telling them he's the Lord of the Sabbath. But if we just flick back the page before, Matthew 11, we find this incredible verse. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." following straight on from that great invitation, that great call to come and to walk in partnership and relationship with the Lord, is this passage that I've spent some time unpacking with you. And at the culmination of the passage, it says this, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. What would you bring to the Lord if you were to come to him? Maybe you might bring your struggles. You come to him, you find a partner in your struggles maybe you might have anxieties and you come to the alpha and the omega who knows the beginning from the end and knows all things and is working all things together for the good of those that love him maybe you are consumed by fear and yet you bring it to the lord and the light easy yoke he gives you is calmness of mind soundness of mind maybe you are characterized by pride and it has alienated all kinds of people from you and maybe you've got to the top but you've become a man or woman of poverty because you've got nothing of substance while you're at the top you come to this place of exchange and what do you get you get humility you get walking with the lord you get this place of peace but all of that comes to make sense when we understand The statement that jesus made i am lord of the sabbath what does the sabbath mean it means the place of rest jesus is lord of all the places of rest that you need jesus is the lord of peace jesus is the lord of grace, Jesus is the Lord of mercy. Jesus is the Lord of compassion, Lord of wisdom, Lord of, of knowing your identity in Christ. He is the Lord of your place of rest. Your place of rest. In the margins, we try to find and build a life that means something to us. In the place of rest, we find a life that means something to God. We find a place where we begin to operate from that which is supposed to be first. Jesus belongs first. He belongs right at the center of your life. How do we get there? I'm going to invite you to respond in just a few moments. But we start on the journey by starting to worship please make it your utmost priority to get here in time to start worship at 2 30. not because the songs are great for you but because of you wanting to worship the lord but that's just one aspect of your worship what is worship it's the choices that you make on a daily basis to put god in the middle it's the desire to read your word and get revelation with the Lord from the word. It's the desire to serve other people in partnership with the Lord. It's learning how to live a life of worship. But sometimes the songs that we sing just help us so much with that. When we take the words and dwell on them as we're seeing them, as we're proclaiming them to God, because they are words that reveal the glory and goodness of God. Start to bring... Worship into your daily experience. Remember what God has done for you, and in, so, in, do, in doing so, worship him. Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. You might say, I've had a great Christian life all of my life. Still, you have forgiven much. You're forgiven as much as the person who is can tell you, I was a drug dealer, and I was a gangster, and I was a pimp, and I was this and that. All the crazy story of life, you can still say that you love much. Because you've been forgiven much. And in that place of worship, start to see God come where he belongs. First place. The reason you make your decisions. The reason you set your agenda. The reason that you uh, serve in the house. The reason that you go about your daily business. Seeking to honor the Lord. I don't really have enough time to go into this deeply. But thinking about the field of Matthew 12, I was also reminded about the fields that we hear spoken of in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And there's instructions given your fields. When you go through the field, harvest the field, but don't take all of the crop. Leave some for others, the poor, the marginalized, the homeless to benefit from. When you live right with God, you put the Lord right at the center. You glean the field, but then you leave stuff in your life that can be a blessing to other people. You become a person that rather than living at the margins and on the tidbits, you live with the substance and you leave behind blessing and grace for others who have yet to experience the goodness of God. Just a song of ministry for us as we close. That passage, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Just for this last song, I want to make this blue field, blue, see I'm already saying it, blue carpet, (laughs) the field. The field of your life. And I want to invite you. Don't all have to come, but I want to invite you, if you're saying, God, you know what, I want to bring you out of the margins. I want you to be right at the center. In the field of my life, you need to be number one. You need to be the reason for my living. I want to invite you to come and fill up this blue field. Not to be seen by everybody else there, but to be seen by the Lord in heaven. And to say, God, I want to bring you right into the middle.